Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a movie episode. The fantasy horror sci-fi rotation has completely broken down, and we're just over here flying by the seat of our pants. Much like Kevin Costner during this entire movie, one might argue. And that's for a very good reason, and it's because we're getting ready to change our format. So we're getting our sacred cows out of the way before we change up, do something different. Don't worry. We're still going to be shooting the shit in our usual unscripted way, but we're going to be doing some more book and movie adaptations. The content will be a little more linked. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a little bit more intention in what we choose, um, just to make it more fun. Give it a little, give it a little zhuzh. It's been six months. It's time for a little, time for a little growth. It's time to rearrange the living room. Yeah. Exactly. It's time to rearrange the living room. Um, and I think it's going to be really exciting. I'm really excited about it, about all the changes that are coming. And we're going to be posting all updates about that on the Instagram. Also on Patreon. You can just follow us on Patreon. You don't have to pay anything to follow us. I put most of the update stuff that I put up is public. Usually content is behind the paywall, but just general information is free. So you can always just follow us over there. And that's at Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Rachel keeps using we and us. These are the royal we yes. and the royal us. I feel I'm like just here. You're present in spirit. Yeah. Um, I'm in the house with you. You support me financially. <laughs> <laughs> you're like my oh, sugar daddy. <laughs> I'm the largest funder of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and by sugar daddy, I mean like my loving husband who lets me get up to shenanigans. And oh, yes. Yes, I let you like <laughs> i could stop you and gamely gets pulled along in the undertow um yeah so fun fun things but before we get to that we're gonna do some fun fun movies and one of those is my favorite Waterworld. so before we get started hi i'm rachel and i'm matt welcome to the strange and beautiful book club It took me a really long time to convince Matt to do Waterworld. It wasn't like an open display of rebellion. It was more like, hey, let's do Waterworld, followed by a... That's a it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Every time. Now, now that we have six months of experience, mm, I feel, feel like it. we can do it justice. Yeah. You know, Highlander, style. Highlander's just as long. It's not the length. Oh, okay. It's the, There's just so much. It's the extraness. The extraness the of extra-ness, the movie. Yes. And that brings me to the first point that I want to make about this movie, which is just the sheer fucking ambition of this movie. So the director is Kevin Reynolds. I'm, I always know these things. And then as soon as I get here, I totally forget. Kevin Reynolds. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the director, Kevin Reynolds, went to Steven Spielberg to ask him about filming on the water because they did that for Jaws. 
Mm-hmm. So the only analog at this time for filming on the water was Jaws. So he was like, hey, you know, what what are some what are some tips and tricks maybe you can give me for for well, doing that? Lessons learned. Yeah, lessons learned. And Steven Spielberg was like, okay, do you have a pen? Don't fucking shoot on the water. That was his only his only direction was like, don't do it. Is that a quote or a paraphrase? That was a paraphrase. Um, gotcha. I'm sure Steven Spielberg always speaks in the only most utmost and what like a more peppy of terms. Werner Herzog. Yeah, yeah. It is. It would be a terrible idea for thou to film this stuff <laughs> on the open water. Yeah, it was like don't, don't, just, just don't. You know what my suggestion is? Don't. Whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. But you could not have filmed this movie on like a soundstage. No. No. Yeah. Well, you could have, but it wouldn't look very good. No, and it wouldn't have held up. Mm-mm. This movie holds up. I mean, content, okay. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. But visually, this movie holds the fuck up. Because you know why it looks like an ocean? Because they're on the ocean. And you know why it feels huge? Because they had like 2,000 extras. All of whom had to have individual costumes handmade for them. You know why it feels like they're so far away you can't see the land? Because they're pretty much always so far away you can't see the land. Right. They had to go at least two miles out every day for filming. And then none of the sets had bathrooms. Oh, wow. That's... Yes. So they had like a separate... What about the big compost pit? (laughs) That doesn't count. Oh, that's exactly what that is. (laughs) Can you imagine selling Kevin on it like... Okay, man, here's the day where you fell, you fall in the water in the cage or in the like compost pit in the cage. And Kevin's like, you mean the one you were taking a shit in earlier? And he's like, that's not what it's we're here realistic to talk about. That's not what we're here what to talk is, about Kevin. right now. We're here to talk about you falling in this cage. We're like, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what I'm here to talk about. No, they had like a barge with porta potties on it that they had to ferry people over to. Okay. Not the compost pit. <laughs> <clears throat> so the one that we will be discussing. And the one you should have watched, and if you didn't, please pause, go back, and watch it again, is the Ulysses cut. Forget the theatrical release. Just put it out of your mind. I know you saw it on television, because I feel like no matter what channel you turn to, anywhere from 1996 to about 2007, it was just on at all times. If you wanted to watch Waterworld, you didn't even need to buy the DVD. You just flick through the channels. Within four channels, you probably found it. I know sci-fi used to play it a bunch back when sci-fi was S-C-I-F-I and they had the little planet. Before the why. Yeah, before the why. Yep. But yes, this is the Ulysses cut, which the theatrical release is like a hundred and like, I forget how many, not just slightly over two hours. The Ulysses cut adds 45 minutes of additional footage. So That's it's, a lot. it's worth it. And it's, it makes sense. Yeah, they edit, they re-edit some scenes. Yeah, and it gets even more respect because it was a fan project. This guy. A fan project that became officially sanctioned and included in the DVD release. Right. He actually went and found, sourced all the additional footage, cut it in himself, released it as the Ulysses cut. And then the studio was like, you know what? It's a pretty fucking good idea. So they grabbed it and made it all high definition because his varied in definition. Right. The sources yeah. were not because consistent. His, his sources so they consistent. went back to all their 
original source. They remastered the yes. Ulysses cut. And I think it makes more sense. And a lot of what they cut out of the three theatrical release that you you get in the Ulysses cut is the religious element. Yes. Yes. So the, the deacon. The deacon actually is like the deacon of the Church of Eternal Growth. Which partly it just hammers symbolism. home the capitalist anti-capitalist propaganda that this movie is but also it makes it make more sense why everybody hates him why everybody hates the mariner right which is kevin costner because kevin costner doesn't have a name in the movie um he's referred to as the mariner and if you are watching the ulysses cut there's a part after the smokers take over the atoll where he actually gives a little sermon and he's like, in the beginning, the provider covered the earth with water and he made man and he made fish and he made no overlap of the two. And any anything that does overlap is evil and should be killed. So it's a very like, well, in the Bible, it says man and fish are two separate things. So anytime we find anything that is both man and fish, that shit's got to go. Yeet it. Gotta eat it. And so it ends up making more sense as opposed to just, ew, he's different and gross. Instead of just conveniently hating the protagonist, the antagonist and the antagonist's lackeys actually have like a whole religious framework that they're following. Right. And I think we have to give this, this movie props for the ambition and for the filming. If you think about that opening scene where we get the water and it's just open water and we're traveling over the water and we finally see his boat and we like zoom in on his boat. They didn't have drones. This is 1995. That is either a dude in a plane or a wire from a dude in a plane or what it's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There, there's no drone. There's no nothing. All of these aerial shots are set up. Somebody is setting them up either on a wire or from an airplane or from something. And they had to be able to frame all of the shots so that you didn't see any of the crew boats, the camera itself, any other camera that might have been filming at the time. Can you imagine the complexity of the setup that they had to achieve for this? Right. Okay. To get this shot, we need everybody to move that way. For about an hour so that you're not visible. <laughs> yeah. From So we can actually do like a 360 shot around. Right. And that was one of the biggest causes of the like extra expense was just the filming day was extremely short because travel was long to get there. And you had to do it when you had enough light. Right. And by three or four, the weather got bad because they did not research the weather patterns in this area before they... <laughs> Built their Where, sets. Well, this was by Hawaii? Yeah, or? it's off. Okay. It's in Kona, off the coast of Kona, one of the islands. And literally every night the weather gets bad. So at three or four, they had to pack that shit up, head back into to port. So you may have only got, what, 10? Maybe you got there about eight o'clock in the morning. You only had like seven hours a day of filming. And that was it. And Kevin Costner ended up being on the set six days a week for like 154 days. And he contributed $22 million of his own money Oh, to get the movie finished. So he was literally invested. Yeah. So we all know at this point 
what my opinion on movies is worth. Because I love just about every movie, except apparently everything everywhere all at once. But I really like this movie. And I think one of the reasons that this movie gets the shit that it gets is because it got so much negative press when it was first released. In fact, before it was even released, people were like, oh, it's going to be a flop. It's Kevin Gate, or they called it like a whole bunch of like names, basically blackballed the movie before it was ever even released in theaters. Oh. I remember this movie being on TV and in the news before it was ever released and talking about how it was a disaster and it was terrible and it was going to flop and how bad this movie was and how hard it was to film it, which is a little unfair because it, so the budget was estimated at $175 million. Well, the budget was $175 million. It's estimated that somewhere over $200 million were spent on it. Which makes this the most expensive movie before Titanic. So Titanic actually costs more to make than this movie. Okay. But it grossed, it made in theaters around the world, $264,268,220. So it made $64 million. Okay. And then it made a further $8 million after it was released on, on video cassette that or does that include dvds that's not a that's not bad that's profit it made money right and if you convert that this is 1995 you can more or less take everything in the 90s and multiply it by like two and a half three it made close to a billion dollars worldwide not bad that's not shabby that's a great return i mean it's not a great return on the investment but if you had a movie that made that you spent $20 million on and it earned $264 million, you'd be a, a, a crazy success. We just think of success in Marvel money now. Right. If it didn't make $300 million on opening weekend, what's the fucking point? But it was fine. It was successful. Was it a like blockbuster, blow it out of the water, <laughs> blow it out of the water? Absolutely the best movie ever made. Everybody went to go see it? No. Did I love this movie with all of my heart? Yes, I did. And you know why? Because mermaids are criminally underrepresented in movies. Mermaids that are not teenage women, teenage girls, or horror, like non-human horror creatures, like siren-ish type creatures. Mm. And this gave me just a little bit of, I mean, he's a merman, right? He just doesn't have fins. He has right. webbed feet. And I want to... Okay, we'll get that to the end about how I want to see this movie remade. But I feel like this movie is a niche that nobody else has... Re I mean, Aquaman. But let's just... Aquaman, we'll put it on the table and then we'll just shove it off to the side. We're not going to discuss Aquaman. Um, this is an underrepresented part of the fantasy faction is the like i want aquatic beings in my movies mm -hmm. and this was a cool aquatic being movie that was also post-apocalyptic i think what do we call it pirate punk pirate punk pirate punk yeah. it's post-apocalyptic it's cool fantasy creature it's huge open world 
this movie has a lot going for it. None of this is CG. You know what CG? The balloon. And the creature that... And the creature. Uh, when he goes fishing for meat. Right, which they didn't want to give them the money to make that. They wanted them to just make a creature. Because it was going to be cheaper to uh, make the animatronic. Because at yeah. the time, creating that CG was more expensive than just making it. Building a, one. Building yeah. one. And they were like, please, please don't make us do that. Please just give <laughs> us money. And they were like, okay, fine, fine. But, yeah. So I guess we can kind of, I don't know, talk our way through this movie. But we start, like I said, on the water. And we right, get we just pick up on this we guy get the cool boat. universal bit where we see the oh, world yeah. and then the text disappears and then we just zoom in on that world and the polar ice caps start melting and my son was watching it with us and he was like that looks terrible he's he like that doesn't <laughs> look like the world i was like shh, shh, shh. you must not malign water world in my presence <laughs> oh i try to say be... something nice about yeah, it what, what can we say that's nice about this cg it's fine and then we get the the polar ice caps have melted covered the world in water the voiceover at the beginning which i accept it's fine it, it's not a bad voiceover it just establishes the world bam there we go it doesn't set us up it doesn't tell us who the mariner is it doesn't talk about what happened to the people after everything got flooded nothing it's just like here's the world guys it's water world because the polar ice caps melted it's a world of water it's a world of water here you go and then we zoom in on the Mariner and we get the iconic peeing in the cup scene and he pours it in the filter. This is another part where my son was like, is he going to drink that? It's like, yeah, it's filtered. It's filtered pee. Yeah. But, if, you know, basically a desert. I mean, they live in a water desert. Yeah. But then he meets another drifter. Actually, he's under the water for a while. He's just gone for a while. And this is when we get the like. He's got his turbine going. We get the cool fantasy. I think the music in this movie is by James Horner. James Howard. Sorry. James Newton Howard. He's done a bunch. He did Maleficent. He did The Hunger Games. He's done a bunch of stuff. Unbreakable. Oh. Okay. There's a movie I... I'm familiar with. Yeah. Oh, I recognize that name, Unbreakable. But we get, I mean, I love the music in this movie. They did a really good job with it. And so we get our cool kind of pensive music. And then we see somebody taking the limes off of his mini lime tree. Which I feel like they created one potted plant for this movie. Mm -hmm. And then they just stuck whatever. Different fruits on different it. Different legume vegetable fruit whatever they felt like on it because i'm pretty sure this is the same tree they used for the tomato later yeah 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 um, the leaves just look fuzzier yeah but then he comes back up and kevin costner said the hardest part about filming this movie was that he had to be wet so much that literally between takes they would just throw buckets of water on him oh i thought they were like spraying him with a hose no, no just buckets of buckets seawater sea water yeah and he said that mm. uh, no matter I how that smelled great <laughs> No matter how much you think you like people, when they spend all day throwing buckets of water on you, it's really hard not to start resenting them. <laughs> Which I totally agree. Um, I don't swim in the ocean. But anyway, so he meets this drifter and we get like a, oh, okay, it's been, we don't get a timestamp ever in this movie. 
period. Just hundreds of years. It's been long enough that humanity has started to adapt, but not so long that all of the trappings of the modern world have rotted away. Right. That's our that's our timeline. But it's been long enough that a culture has developed. Because he's like, hey, two drifters meet, something has to be exchanged. And the guy's like, meh, now I'll give you this one for free. It's fine. But I almost took your boat because you were gone for so long. And he's like, oh, you know, there was a hole in the hull so big, I, I could be in there. And As a explanation of. Yeah, I could breathe in there. The guy's yeah, like, oh, okay, cool, so cool. And then they look over and they see smokers, which is our first indication of the villains of Waterworld. And it covers multiple aspects of their lives. One, they're producing smoke because of their gasoline powered everything yes and they're producing smoke from their guns that they fire very enthusiastically yeah and also because they're always smoking cigarettes right um this is the biggest suspension of disbelief in this entire movie is that the exxon valdez is still around and still floating because that's the headquarters of the smokers or the Church of Eternal Growth, as yes. we find out. Yes. Um, there is still oil in it. They have refining capability. They periodically refill from atolls. Some atolls, some larger atolls had oil. Okay. All right. And some of the atolls had refining capabilities. Right. Okay. So that there was still the capability of mining oil. And that you could refine it, and that these guns all still work in a saltwater environment, and that they are able to manufacture bullets, and that cigarettes are still around when you cannot grow tobacco, and paper is so precious, it's a, like, tradable commodity. Two sheets of paper was the entire life savings of, like, a clan on an atoll. Right. But every single one of these cigarettes is wrapped in paper. I was thinking, by the end of the movie, I was thinking it would make a lot more sense if they, like, it's fine that they have tens of thousands of packs of cigarettes, like, stored up places. Yeah. But with the value of paper, a more plausible thing would be uh, every time you open a pack of cigarettes and you're going to smoke one you empty out the tobacco from the cigarette into a pipe yeah and save the paper and then just smoke the tobacco in the pipe yeah but absolutely the biggest thing that they were like listen listen this is going to be a little bit hard for you to believe but it needs to be what you believe so that we can have this narrative, okay? Yeah. It's been so long, literally, we have started to adapt enough that there's people who have functional gills, but we still have potted meat and we still know what golf is, okay? Just roll with me. Roll with me on this. Got it? So, I mean, we're just, again, we already have Aquaman on a plate and we've pushed that off to the side. Um, oral histories are very good at preserving sets of knowledge. But would it be completely accurate in the way that it's still accurate? Oh, uh, it depends. Yeah. 
And that so much of this technology is still functioning, like his oh the pl- PA system and the car. The plausibility of, um, like a gasoline engine lasting hundreds of years. Yeah. No. No. Guns. If they had some type of machine shop on the ship, and I don't know people that seemed to be. Careful and knowledgeable enough to understand how to, like, replace pieces of these weapons. It's not impossible. How about a jet ski? I'm pretty sure if you don't say the right (sighs) incantation over a jet ski um, after Labor Day weekend, it's dead by Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Airplane. Airplane. Airplanes, <laughs> just like full from stop. a from a mechanical perspective, airplanes are designed. Okay, a ship is designed with a huge safety factor. Yeah, you say here's the environment, it load whatever use that we expect the ship to experience in its day to day whatever, and then we're gonna multiply that by five or ten or whatever, and we're actually going to build it to withstand that. So that way it withstands like the worst storm in, you know, in a thousand days of use or whatever. Airplanes are designed with a safety factor of like 1.1 or 1.5 if it's a heavy airplane. But a lightweight personal aircraft? No way. No, I, I don't think an airplane would continue to be running. So we've set out our plate, and we've put all the things that really stretch belief on there, and I think that's good. I mean, we're going into this like we go into everything with eyes wide open. This is a little bit bullshit, but I'm cool with it. Right. It's pretty much all for the sake of entertainment and thrill. Yeah. It's to make the narrative more interesting. If he was like, oh, fuck. It makes them a lot more dangerous if they have jet skis in an airplane. I mean, if this guy... And functional guns. What actually ended up being one of the fastest tri-hauled ships in the entire world when they built it for the production of this movie. Um, if they made, if the guy had that and you didn't have a fleet of people who had internal combustion engines and planes and shit, it would just be like, well, he got away. Oh, well, he could literally be anywhere in the world. We can't travel faster than him. We're not going to be able to catch him. And then the movie would be real, real boring because yeah. nobody would be chasing anybody. So it's fine. I'm cool with it. I mean, I get it, but I'm cool with it. It's fine. Um, but after he t- he does talk to the guy and the guy says that, you know, there's an atoll eight days east of here. You know, I was just there. They have supplies and things if you need to go. And he's like, meh, I don't know, people. I may be peopled out. I haven't talked to anybody in 15 months. I don't know if I'm up to it. I'm I'm not ready. I haven't recharged yet from the last <laughs> time. <laughs> but this is when the smokers show up. And the guy's like, ha ha, I have your limes. I got your limes. Yeah. And he's like, but my sail's up, so I'm going to sail away. And he's like, oh, yeah, well. You thought. You thought. And then he does the cool. This ship is cool, right? This, if Matt lived in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> water world, I absolutely believe this would be his ship. Except it would be covered in more half-finished projects. Yeah, uh, yeah. Most yeah. most of the things would be partially functional. It was like, 
was with some friends the other weekend and they were talking about their uh the lady's dad's RV, the family RV. Yeah. And so they got it and they went to use it a couple times and they had to keep calling him. It's like, how do you turn this on? Oh, you have to go outside and open a panel and touch these two wires together and then go back inside and turn it on and then go back outside and disconnect that because I had to rig it up, Yeah, whatever. Or like you have to go open this so that the drain works, but then afterward you have to close this thing so it doesn't. Right. I've talked to them about that before and I said her dad is like the guy from Down Periscope. The electrician from yes. Down Periscope at that one point where he licks the his radio fingers operator, yeah. and grabs one and then licks his fingers and grabs the other one. And he's like, okay, it's live. That one. Yeah. Um, it'd be like that, except that electricity. Uh, oh, no. He has electricity on No, the no. Show. For you. Oh, he does have electricity. Yes. Yeah. He has car batteries and shit. And he also has like his cool generator that he recharges stuff with. He's got a, this ship is cool. It is a character in and of itself. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, this sh- this movie isn't as good of a movie if he's just in like a little sailboat. So story goes, they commissioned some people to just make a really cool three hull ship. Yeah, and here's a pile of money, make it. And so then they made it and showed up with it, and then Kevin Costner just went off and off lived for two on weeks. it for weeks. Yeah. So that he could, he, when he was moving around during filming, he would actually be familiar and like fluent in how to actually use all the different parts of the ship because he'd been living on it. And that really adds a lot of plausibility to the scenes where he's operating the boat because it actually looks like he knows what he's doing. Like he built the whole thing. Because he does actually know what he's doing. Yeah. And he ends up deploying his sail with like a kick of a pedal right and it lifts up and his sail comes out there's a whole counterweight system right and he gets like he goes towards the smokers at first because there's a inflated bag that he needs to grab and so he ends up grabbing it tossing it up on the thing tossing up on his netting turning and then knocking the other guy's sail off and continuing and letting this guy get killed like well you fuck me i fuck you Welcome to Waterworld. Nothing's free in Waterworld, motherfucker. And <laughs> Which then, is a line that gets spoken regularly. In yeah. Our well, yeah, I think he only oh in our household. Yes, I was gonna say in the movie it's like once, but in right. Yes, in <laughs> life. <laughs> driving down free the highway. Driving down the highway near where we used to live, there was a store called Waterworld, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like pool supply stuff and boats. Yeah. And every day. Like, I'd drive by it going to work. And I'd be like, nothing's free, free in Waterworld. Water I was like, that that should be their tagline. Like, <laughs> under the, the big sign that says Waterworld, or even on top, it, like, it could just say in tiny print, nothing's free in dot, 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 Waterworld. Waterworld. No, I mean, that's not a good sales pitch. But, or as our son called it, Waterland. He was like, what's this movie again? Waterland. I was like, Waterworld. He goes, Waterworld, Waterland. What's the difference? <laughs> There's a big difference, and I need you to respect me. I am your mother. I am your mother. No, whatever. He doesn't care. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, so we get to the atoll. That's the next section. And in the Ulysses cut, there's a bunch of boats waiting outside to get bunch in. A bunch of little boats. Yeah, trying like to get in. And boats. they're like, no, we're good. We don't want anything. You know, please, please just leave. And he pulls his, like, he pulls up and he pulls the sheet off to show him what he has to, to trade. And one of the things is a thigh master. Yep. <laughs> and they're like, no, nah, we're good. And then he holds up his jar of dirt. Which I do like. He has this really cool boat, which is objectively extremely utilitarian. But he has all of these little things, like his earrings. He has wind chimes. And then he has this jar that he has created, like, a netting around to make it easier for him to, like, hold and store, but to also make it look nicer. Right. So it's... It's the, obviously aesthetic. Like I got a pile. Of, he's always coiling rope. So, <laughs> so much rope. He's got. He's always got rope close by, ready right. to use. And it's like, oh, here's some rope that I don't have a use for. Uh, I guess uh, I can make if it's make just something out there, of the rope. If it's just laying there, I have to keep wrapping it around my elbow. But if I do something with it, I don't have to keep doing that. So he does like macrame around this <laughs> it's jar. Exactly macrame. He's got a macrame jar. And I think just the set and prop designer, the fact that they thought all the way through, not just like everything that he owns is clearly made from something else, like clearly a upcycled. Right. Everything in this world is crafted. upcycled and crafted from trash, basically. But that they there was some element of aesthetics that was put in it. Like, it's not just utilitarian. There is some amount of effort towards making it pretty as well, which I think is really a cool touch. I love it when a prop designer or a set designer really thinks through start to finish the culture, like not just creating an object of use, but creating an object that fits the culture. Right. What's the day-to-day -day experience of this object? Right. And they end up letting him in because of the dirt, because dirt is a highly sought after commodity, which you don't see it in the regular cut, but in the Ulysses cut, they have a giant ass tree in this atoll. Yes. So, a fruit bearing tree. A fruit bearing tree. So it doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes a little bit of sense like, ooh, dirt, nobody has dirt. But like, if you can't do anything with the dirt, then who gives a shit? Right. Uh, but... If you have a giant tree and you're trying to give it dirt, like keep it alive and allow it to grow, then getting dirt from other places, bringing in dirt makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, which is why I love the Ulysses cut, because there's definitely things that you accept in the original, the theatrical release. You're like, man, dirt, it's fine. But then when you get the whole context of it, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. They're literally trying to build an island. One right. bucket blender at a time. One extra piece of context about like plants is a big part of what makes up dirt is Rachel's like threading her headphone cable. Because around. I keep hitting it and banging it and I want it out of my way, but I can't because it was like in a weird spot. All right, go ahead. Okay. Um a lot of what makes up dirt is decomposed plant plant matter. Yeah. And uh, there's a there's a really good um, like song that someone made of Richard Feynman talking about <laughs> an auto tune of Richard uh, Feynman, yeah. yeah. And 
there's lots of like video of him talking about interesting stuff, but this one was him talking about where does all the material come from that makes up what becomes the like body of a tree. Yeah. And it comes from the air. Okay. So the water that gets absorbed by the tree comes down as rain, but then all of the carbon for the carbon molecules that make up the tree come come from from carbon dioxide in the air. Yeah. So applying that here, if you have a giant tree that seasonally sheds its leaves and you can keep that thing alive for a long time, Every time it drops its leaves, you collect those leaves, you let them compost, they turn into dirt. You add that dirt to the base of the tree that fertilizes the tree yeah, and uh, makes the tree stronger so that it grows bigger, has more leaves, it drops more leaves, you collect those leaves. And so it becomes a, a generative process. Yeah. Where you can grow more island just by having this gigantic plant. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. But they're doing, they're having a funeral too when he comes in. So not only does does the plant contribute to the growth of the island, but dead bodies do too. Because they dump this woman in the soup. I don't know what this is. The the mush, <laughs> the, the, the compost. The meat compost. The meat compost. Um. Yeah, that has to stink. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine what that must smell like? Luckily, there's always a breeze on the ocean. Yeah. Well, not always. Those I are don't the bad know. days. Those are some pretty high walls. Is there a breeze <laughs> inside there? Is it pretty stagnant? Oh, there's lots of holes in the walls. Uh, well, there is after the smokers get done with it. <laughs> yep. I'm anyway, just... I, I really like this atoll. Yeah. I like the no, design of it. It cool. makes sense. No, I was thinking it's of, uh, actually, in yeah. my mind, I was thinking of the, like, what they say. Because they're like, too old she was. This woman oh, does yes. leave us. Recycled and enshrined in the presence of him who leads us. Yep. You're welcome. Um, this atoll weighed 2,204,622 pounds. And it floated. And it's it floated. actually a free-floating structure Because they had on to the ocean. tow it two miles out. It's actually in chunks, too. It's like four sections. Oh, it's modular. Right, because it's a quarter mile across. So for filming, they had to be able to use oh, parts take of it a section and out. like take sections out. So they can get good camera angles. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. even more impressive. It's modular. It's the size of a football field. And they had to ship in steel for it because they used all of the scrap steel on the island. And they actually had to elongate the landing pad to accommodate the heavy airplanes that were bringing in, like, steel for this. Just scrap metal. Just straight scrap metal. It is wild. It is cool. It is detailed. And it's a large source of expenses for the entire filming project. Oh, absolutely. It took, like, six months of round-the-clock labor to put this thing together. I can't even imagine conceiving of it, much less. I mean, it's wild. And it's functional. They use it for a large part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get most of our extras. I mean, we have some extras in the... uh... Well, I was thinking what they were... 
the smokers, the deacon was talking about, like, nostalgically talking about, like, what's happening to the world? There used to be atolls on every horizon. And he was, says after he just blew up an atoll. Right. Yeah. What's happening to these atolls? Why aren't there any left? Oh, yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, but I was thinking, like, it's impressive that, like, this much scrap steel is still around a few hundred years after whatever happened. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of it's parts of ships and things. Yeah, and so... <laughs> Like, over time, like, if you drop something, it's gone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they would have to be extremely protective of every piece of metal. Yeah. Because you can't get you it back. You can't get it back. It's an extremely finite resource. If you had Morph, a magnet and a long enough cord, could you harvest steel? If you were in a shallow enough area. Yeah. Because it gets hard to make it sink fast enough to not get caught and dragged up in the current. Oh, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That just occurred to me. Magnet fishing. But I was thinking, like, over time, you're going to... it. You know, it's a downward slope forever. Unless you have someone who can breathe underwater and dive deep. And bring shit up. And bring shit up. Yeah. Um, but... How many atolls must there have been for there to be, like, this one is left and it's one of the smaller ones? So I was thinking, like, as as the, you know, waters were rising over the decades, whatever, like, every city on Earth just getting together all of their scrap metal, all of their metal and all their materials to form floating extensions of their cities. And then as the waters would rise, they would, you know, extend that out. And so you probably had these like yeah. miles across floating cities. It wouldn't right have been cataclysmic. After. It wouldn't right. have been cataclysmic. It would have been so gradual. Yeah. And so you would have had, you know, a hundred years or two hundred years of just gradually converting every human city into a floating city. Right. And so they're would literally have been like probably from every atoll you could see at least one more atoll. Yeah. And it would just be like driving around to different neighborhoods going in between them. And then over hundreds of years, they keep getting scavenged or there's, you know, a poor maintenance or whatever. And yeah, or a plague. It sinks. Or a plague. Yeah. Yeah. Or famine or no water. Yeah, that's why the I like the ambiguity of how much time has passed. Because we don't know if it's been a thousand years since humanity had to go to the seas like this, or if it's been 500 years, or if it's been a hundred years. Because it's possible that, like, they have desalinators, which we find out in the Ulysses cut. Because she's saying, like, there's a part where they're having a meeting talking about the Mariner, and she says, look, our way of life is dying. We have gardens that have died off. Our desalinators no longer work and can't be fixed. We are dying out. It's been over a year since we've even heard from another atoll. Yeah. So, I mean, are the atolls anchored? It must be anchored in some way. Not necessarily. 
Uh, maybe originally they were. Yeah. But I think that's a big part of the problem with navigating is yeah, nothing's in a predictable location. Right. Plus, if you got a planet hot enough to melt the polar ice caps all the way to nothing, there's probably a very limited habitable zone. Yeah. Because around the equator would be too hot. So you probably got like a northern region and a southern region and that's it. And passing through the middle would be almost impossible. Yeah. So we end up in the atoll. And just back to Waterworld here, since we were spitballing for a little bit there. And he ends up trading his dirt for money. And he's going around just buying things and getting stuff. And um, he actually talks to, like, the sheriff or the peacekeeper. And he's like, you've got two hours. And he's like, it's cool. I'm only going to need one. I don't want to be here any more than you want me here. So it's cool. So he ends up buying, like... Everything, including a tomato plant. And actually including the shelves. Including the shelves, tomato plant, a whole bunch of stuff. And in this version, in the Ulysses cut, this is where we get a lot of additional dialogue. So it ends up making a little bit more sense. When he's talking to Nord, the blonde dude, the blonde smoker spy guy. (laughs) Nord. (laughs) Um, they have a bit more conversation. Mm-hmm. It's less of just like quit fucking talking to me and more like I-, I threw you a couple bones, but you didn't get it and you won't leave. So now I'm mad at you. And he ends up he's heading back to the ship. He's bought a bunch of water, which in the Ulysses cut, he differentiates between pure and like impure. Like there's two grades of hydro. Yeah. And so he goes with whatever. He buys a whole bunch of water. He's headed back to his ship. And this is when they show up and they're like, hey, um, can you stay long enough to impregnate our our friend here, my daughter, because as you saw, we were having a funeral, so we've got a space. So we need someone to fill the space. We need a new baby. But, but we do, we're we a want, little inbred. We want genetic diversity. Yeah, we're a little bit inbred. So maybe you could help us out here. And he's like, you know what? Actually, I'm 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 good. I'm good. You know, I'm just gonna leave. It's fine. And, and they're so like they're immediately suspicious. Yes, because no man stays out that long and turns down a woman. There must be something wrong with him. And they're like, maybe he's a smoker spy, which I feel like if he's a smoker, he would have been all over that shit. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I'll bang this woman. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. But Church of Eternal Growth. Church of Eternal Growth. So he's headed back to his boat and they try to detain him. And one of the guys who plays in this is his name is actually Rick Aviles. Aviles. A-V-I-L-E-S. He's in a bunch of other stuff. He's the bad guy in Ghost. Ghost with Patrick Ghost. Swayze. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, he passed away like right after this movie came out. Mm. And for a while, it was because he had, quote, cardiac arrest. And then it was released that he died of AIDS. So he was a victim of the 1990s AIDS crisis, 80s and 90s, um, which is unfortunate. But he's one. He's the one who pulls his ear back and he's like, okay. mutation. <laughs> As a kid, I was like, <gasps> muto. He has gills. That's so fucking awesome. <laughs> he ends up jumping in the water. I just want, okay, we're going to get there. I'm going to have to hold it in. I'm going to hold it in till the end. Um, And he gets caught by, he gets like netted. And he does stab one of them. And then they pull him in. And they're going to lynch him. And the peacekeeper guy shows up. And he's like, no, no. this Not like this. Not like this. He's like, yeah, yeah, we'll kill him. But we're going to kill him civilized. (laughs) We got to um, wait a day. I don't know. Do they have a trial? I don't I think they kind of have a trial. They have a trial in the Ulysses version. In the theatrical cut, they don't. Yeah, but he's yeah, in they the just, cage. He's yeah. just in the cage. And yeah, and it's like night and 
they're looting his boat and they also have like a meeting and the meeting they in the Ulysses cut, he like pulls out a yo-yo and they're like, we found this on his boat. It is a karat, a karat for strangulation, but it's a yo-yo. Yeah. And then he has um, the thigh master, which they label a torture device. And then he has a clarinet, which they declares for espionage. espionage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they end up deciding that yeah, let's go ahead and kill him. I mean, they were going to do it anyway, but they had a meeting right. and they decided officially that they're going to kill him tomorrow when they when the, the sun rises. Although I don't know if we it's been a while since I've watched the theatrical cut. I don't know if we cover the fact that Gregor also provides them with power in the theatrical cut. But Gregor mm, played by. Yeah, it's I mean, even here, it's not that clear that um, it's not like explicitly stated that gregor is a valuable member of the community yeah if like thinking about it for a minute yeah like he says it he's allowed he says it so much freedom and uh like use like he has so much private space right and he has so much paper (laughs) <laughs> paper and because he's like materials yeah he's because the cool guy he's the the engineer the eccentric engineer guy yeah. who the tinker yeah he's the tinker that keeps everything running right and he's played by michael jeter jitter jeter and i only remember him i always remember him from the green mile i don't only remember him from the green mile but i always remember him from the green mile mr joe bojangles oh yeah yeah he's the one with the little mouse yeah yeah um he, he's passed away, which was really sad, but he's like the guardian of Helen, which she's supposed to be named after Helen of Troy. So I'll take a moment just about that. Um, and Enola, which is alone spelled backwards. They really pushed the boat out for those names. They were like, what would we call her? Can't be. Mm, uh, oh, I don't know. How about like alone? Can't be alone. What about Enola. Mm. oh now that's cool and we had kind of gotten some information about her before but she's the child with the tattoo on her back she is not asian why are the characters written in like i think it's kanji isn't it yeah it looks japanese yeah why she doesn't look asian were her parents asian we suspend our disbelief. Okay. We just we put All that right. on the table and then we right. scoot it to the you side. You know, it's been so long. It's been so long in the history of things that it may be like that was the only written information or maybe, that we still had. Right. Like maybe just her family ended up there. Yeah. And that was the only language they knew. Yeah. Or that was the only paper they had where they could like decipher numbers and things. Yeah. It's possible. Um, I don't know. Shit happens. Shit happens. And then the next day, the smokers arrive. Because they're there after this girl. Because. She has a map to dry land. Um, Nord. Yes. The smokers. The actual Nord, smoker spy? The actual smoker spy. Oh, yeah. Spy. That one? Yeah. Nord, yeah. which. Like, he's there kind of like he lives there. But. As soon as he hears, oh, yeah, this girl has a map to Dryland tattooed on her back. And then he sees her and he's like, I gotta go report. Yeah. He, he boats off because he steals his boat, his boots. And yeah. as he's leaving, he puts his boat, his boot up on the prow. To show and he's him. he's like, sup? 
Yeah, because he, he offered to trade for the boots. Right. Right. He's like, no, you can't because my feet are webbed and I can't let everybody know. Exactly. So I have to wear boots in polite company. Yeah. Because uh, there's religious reasons, obviously. But he comes back because they're there for the girl because they want dry land. Everybody wants dry land because they have outgrown their ship, which is the Exxon Valdez, the D's. They've outgrown the D's because they don't limit their population because they are a capitalist metaphor for the idea of perpetual capital growth and the fact that that's not sustainable but we treat it like it this is. This is only an explication yes. of how unsustainable right. that this is a, uh, way this of living is, is. Allegorical, but we won't hold it against it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they're, yeah. No, they've, they've the only been surviving bang, bang, this bang, long bang, bang. because yeah. they've been raiding atolls. Right. And but now they've, that's, that's done. They yeah. don't, the most of them are gone now. So, Almost as if their way of life was unsustainable, where they were going and killing people and taking their shit instead of cooperatively working to build everybody up. Right. Which is why this is pirate punk and not solar punk, which is the name for um, positive futuristic sci-fi. Right. So they show up, they blow everything up, it happens, and then Helen ends up rescuing the Mariner because... Enola had mentioned, like, maybe he knows the way to dry land. He did have a lot of dirt. He sailed a lot of places. He's probably got some pretty good ideas about where to go. And they're like, fucking he, genius. Which they don't say this until later, but she's like, you have things that nobody has ever seen before. Right. I was just looking because we're at an hour and we're just... <laughs> Oh, wow. We're barely in. <laughs> this is going to be movie. longer than the movie. That's <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to fast forward. I mean, after they get out of the atoll and they're sailing, I mean, stuff happens, but we end up with a far more pensive pace because we yes. get our cool. She rescues him. She does the cool thing. Yeah, we his, set the premise his, for the whole movie. His uh, cage has fallen in the muck. Muck. The M- let, we'll just call it the <gasps> muck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The muck. And she pulls his head out and she's like, I'm letting you out of here and then you're taking us with you. Deal? And he goes, sure. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> he, okay. <laughs> I, I I was like, I think he only nods here. No. Because he's, I was like, if I was in that situation, I would just be keeping my mouth closed so that none of it got in my mouth. Right. And I wonder... Could his gills actually no. get oxygen out of no, that? No, because it can't have any oxygen in it. It's it all, doesn't mix. Yeah, it doesn't mix, and it's, it's all decay. So all of the decay would have eaten up the, eaten up the oxygen. So you're working with like an anaerobic environment. There's yeah. no way there's oxygen in there. No, but he does. He goes, okay. He's like, sure, sure, right? Because this is actually the same character as um, Kurt Russell and Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah a lot of just staring and this is like if the kurt russell's character from soldier had like 20 years alone on the on the ocean and wasn't trying to live with other people no it was just like you know what fuck it and just went off on a boat to go do cool shit yep and not talk to anybody ever again unless he really really wanted to 
And so he does the thing where he jumps in the water, which I think is half just because he's gross and he's got to get it off of him. <laughs> yeah. And he does the swim, which is the only time we see him swim like that in the entire movie. And, oh, God. And he, he just, actually leaps yeah, out he of does the like water because he can swim so and fast. Kevin Costner trained. Like he trained with an Olympic swimmer to be able to do that. But he also has a swim double for most of the times that he's in the water. What? Because you got to remember, this is not on set. This is in the fucking ocean. Lame. Lame. I mean, the lady who plays Helen, Jean Triplehorn, got stung like four times by jellyfish. Because they are legit in the ocean. Lame. This is not Avatar where, you know, except for like a couple of scenes, it's all CG. There's no CG. They are in the water. And so he jumps up out onto his boat. He kills a bunch of Filmed on location. Filmed on location. They end up getting out and they get away. I mean, shit happens, but they get away. And they end up knocking Deacon's eye out. Well, okay. They, I guess, he was, Deacon was saying, like, he took my eye. And I thought, no, he didn't. Your own guy shot your boat and blew it up. But now I remember, oh, yeah. Yeah. The Mariner harpooned yeah. the gunboat yeah. and turned it toward him. Okay. Yeah. So Dennis Hopper, okay. who plays Deacon, is on a boat and they're all excited and they have like a Gatling gun kind of thing. And and the cousin shooting the gun. Right. And he ends up, the mariner shoots him with a harpoon and then sails in a circle and pulls this boat around. And so it shoots Deacon's boat and blows it up. And the guy's so... Well, his, his goggles are vibin'. all blacked out. He's vibing. Yeah. Shooting the machine Biden. gun. Yes. And he doesn't even notice that he's not shooting the atoll anymore. Right. Well, he can't see. He's, he's all covered in smoke. Yep. And yeah, then he gets away. But he's got the girl. And so they're going to go after him. Faux show. Mm-hmm. And then In we fact, have like. that's the entire plot of like the next three quarters of the movie. Yeah. Coming after you. Faux show. Because after this, it's pretty much just like, I'm somber a terrible thing happens. I almost let the terrible thing happen to you. And then I rescue you from it. And each time. And now there's fucking people on my boat. And now there's more fucking people on my boat. But every time that we have that iteration, the amount of time that he spends waiting for the terrible thing to just happen to them gets shorter. So we he rescues them from the atoll. And then we meet another drifter. No, then he throws the little girl over the side and yeah, ends up rescuing because she, her. Because she won't stop talking. Because she won't stop talking, which I realize this little girl is our daughter. <laughs> and adorable, but literally cannot stand silence. Even one moment of silence is death. Is absolute death. She lost her voice once. It, she almost died. Was... She did. It was painful. She was just like crying and gaping and like squeaking and trying to make sound come out. Yep. Anyway, it's so hard. he threw, threw yeah. her in the water. I mean, literally, which... it's literally a re repeated, repeated. Bad thing happens. He almost lets the bad thing happen to them. Then he rescues them. And then each time it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And my favorite one of these is when we meet the half an hour guy. Which if you the other thought, drifter. If you thought nothing free in Waterworld gets repeated a lot in our movie in our in our household, half an hour is like weekly. Muttering half an hour half an in hour. this guy's half accent. An hour, half an hour, half an hour, half an hour. <laughs> it's I think 
<laughs> I think it's because he has such a distinctive accent. Yeah. yeah. And this is a guy you probably recognize, not from being in anything in particular, but from being in like everything. He's been in like two episodes of almost every television show from 1995 onward. But I, I love this guy. And to the Mariner's credit, he does not sell Enola to him, but he almost sells Helen for two pieces of paper. And she's like... The life savings of a clan and a whole. Right. And she's like... I'm mad. <laughs> like, I'm mad about this, but okay. I'll, I'll do it because I'm I am literally sacrificing everything to try to protect Enola, to keep her alive, because mm. she is my daughter. Not my daughter, but my daughter. Adopted daughter. My adopted daughter. Basically. And he ends up regretting it, of course, and saving them from the bad thing that he almost let happen to right. them. Two pieces of paper to the guy... Who has a stack it's of it's National Geographic magazines. It's because it's a map, which we get a throwaway line later that he maps. He's been mapping the cities underneath mm. the water. So he, he has been creating a map and then he compares them to the maps that he finds. Gotcha. And that's how he knows when Gregor asks about the numbers, he's like, that's because they're upside down. He's like, what do you mean? The poles reversed themselves? And he's like, well, I don't know that that fucking means. But I've been mapping the cities below. I know about longitude and latitude. Those numbers are upside down. That's how he that's that's what he's doing. We don't get it explicitly explained to us, but he is literally learning more about the world because to him, it's not a featureless wasteland. It is not right. just ocean. He knows there's stuff underneath of it and he can visit. He's aware. Yeah, he can it. visit the landscape. Which is one of the cooler scenes is when we finally get the reveal of what is actually Boulder, Colorado. It's not really Boulder, Colorado, but it's a miniature of Boulder, Colorado. It's supposed to be when he takes Helen down under the water because he almost sells them to the slavers or to that atoll with the dead people that are waving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's going to sell them for resin to repair his boat. And Helen's like, you were going to sell us. And he's like, well... Maybe. Like a little. But not anymore because they're dead. I didn't, though. I, it didn't happen. If it didn't happen. No harm, no foul. <laughs> does it matter if I was gonna? If I didn't, it's fine. <laughs> She's like, you asshole. <laughs> and she makes a comment right here with like, what do you mean there's no dry land? Because he tells her like, dry land's a myth. You're, you're an idiot. Well, I don't know why you're holding on to this. And she says, well, what about the things on your boat? Like, and she says the, the music box and she holds up her hands and does like a shape. And if you only watch the theatrical version, that doesn't make sense. You're like, what music box? But if you watch the theatrical views, uh, excuse me, if you watch the Ulysses cut, you get to hear him listening to some smooth jazz on a CD player. Miles Davis. <laughs> And you see a CD player with some external speakers hooked up to it, hooked up to it. And he's powering it with a little wind turbine thing. Yeah. And just chilling, 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 watching the waves, fixing some stuff. And she is dumbfounded. Yeah. Understandably. Um, in fact, I think she kind of undersells what it would be like to just hear that like complexity of music coming from effectively nowhere yeah and yeah so she's amazed right at this you know you know music does things 
music it evokes an emotional response. Right. And and so she's she's you know properly amazed by it. Right. And he's finally after this, he's like, you know what? Just to shut you up, I'm gonna take you and show you something. And that's when he takes her down. He does his like Matt kept going on about why doesn't he have a condenser? Why does he not an, have a condenser? An evaporation distiller. Yes. Yeah. Where yeah, you it, just it, you collect evaporated moisture, condense it on a sheet of plastic or something, and then let it run down the plastic into a bucket. Right. And you can just leave that over some water in the sunlight and it will collect fresh water. Fresh water. Yeah. That could very well be what this is, this right. bell thing that he uses to take her down. Because when he puts it in the water, it's soft. It's not rigid. It's only rigid because of the air bubble that gets trapped in it. Right. And he has ropes slung over macrame yes, over the top of the plastic. Yes, he macrameated over the top. And there's actually a stream of bubbles coming out of the very top of it, mm -hmm. which wouldn't work if you're going like thousand, like however far down he goes. Right. That's that's how air gets one out thing of the I bubble. liked. One thing I liked, I don't know if this was intentional or not, that made this more believable is the water level from the top of the balloon to the top of the water compresses. Compresses. The the water level rises the deeper they go because yeah. the air is compressing. Yes. Yeah, I noticed that. So he ends up taking her down and they why is there always a Pepsi can? There's a Pepsi can in um, Enemy Mine, too. I bet Pepsi paid some, helped with the funding. Maybe. Maybe Pepsi's like, post-apocalyptic, we got you. You want a can? You throw it in there. It's fine. Because in Enemy Mine, that's how he finds the enemy The mine. slavers. The slaver mine is because he finds the trash, which includes a Pepsi can. And so he ends up picking up a handful of dirt from the bottom of the ocean and showing her like this is where i got the dirt from and this is when he tells her like the world wasn't created in water it was covered by it because in the ulysses cut especially it's it is obvious that they have forgotten that the world wasn't always covered in water mm -hmm. that they now believe that the world is meant to be covered in water it was created that way because they've forgotten about all the civilization underneath, except for this one random dude who has the ability to go down there and see it all. And so that's my that's always my favorite scene is when we do the like underwater reveal. And this is mm -hmm. all practical effects. They created a miniature and covered it in smoke and then filmed it to get the underwater effect. And then they composited Kevin Costner. And yeah, I'm just imagining Ellen. Kevin Costner with the air bubble thing. And Helen in front of like a giant green screen. <laughs> well, I think they're underwater, but they're just like. Right, like a green screen underwater. Yeah. I don't know how they did it, but yeah, it's practical. But this is it, all practical effects. It looks okay. It does. It works. But then when they get back, this is when the smokers capture them, which I mean, a ton of shit has happened in the middle of this, but this movie is like three hours long. Please just go watch it. And, they, and a lot of it you just have to experience. And they get back and the smokers are there. And this is the part where Deacon says, well, whoever talks first about where the girl is, I, I won't kill. And then neither one of them talks. And he's like, well, what do we do if neither one talks? We've never had it where neither one of them talks. And yeah, then so he's they're, like, they're stuck. Uh, yeah. Wait, wait, we skipped. We skipped the uh, scene where Helen propositions him. 
Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Did I was that an important scene to you? Oh well, remember I said, hold on, I'm gonna save this for the pod. Oh, okay, all right, no, all right, <laughs> because, we'll just whoop whoop whoop. This is way back, right after the atoll. But go ahead. Right, and so she's like, I know you don't like us. It's very obvious you are communicating that loud and clear. What can I do to make our existence here more beneficial for you, so you don't resent us? And like deprive us of food and water, or even throw us off the boat. Not that you would actually do those things, oh, never. right? No. But then she's like, "Enola, go, go below decks." And then she she's like, "I could make it fun for you. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> we can have some fun here." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, he's obviously like not uh, in the mood." For sex. He's not interested. He, he reaches out and touches her boob, but she flinches. And as soon right. as she flinches, he's like, nope, never, nope. And so I was like, what What would make him so hesitant? <laughs> he has all these mutations. <laughs> he has all these mutations that make him more fish-like. Yes. <laughs> what if he doesn't have a penis? What if he has a cloaca? <laughs> Remember you said. <laughs> You were like, <laughs> you were like, I've got something to say, and it starts with a C, and it rhymes with Loeka. 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 I said it starts with C, and it ends in Loeka. <laughs> so there's a podcast that Rachel yes. and I both listen to yeah. called Authors and Dragons. There's a guy on there, Robert Bevan. We've mentioned him a couple times, but yeah. as I told Rachel. Robert Bevan has given me quite an education in cloacas <laughs> <laughs> because he's always making just raunchy jokes uh, about cloacas yes, if, it's, if yes. he can plausibly fit it in there. So I was like, maybe maybe he doesn't want like to have sex with someone like that he just met because he doesn't want them to see what he has yeah, what he's in his with. pants. Yeah. And anyway, we we don't ever. Well, later on, there's a sex scene, and she seems pretty satisfied afterward. Yeah. So he's probably got the right equipment. Right. But. At least par- he may have both. Porquenolos dos. Hey. Hey. Um. Yeah. The funniest part about that scene for me is our kids were watching it with us, and Amos goes, "Are is they? The, are they married? Is, is there they, marriage in this movie? Th- is there marriage in this world?" <laughs> Is that what you think? <laughs> I was like, okay. I want to know what thought process led to that question. It was like, oh, they can walk around naked in front of each other. Oh, okay. Maybe they're married. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. We live in a very body positive household. So that's probably why they were like, Meh. why is she naked? Are they related? What's going on here? Anyway, yeah, but so later after the boat, after they get Enola and they burn the boat and we have the cool thing where he jumps in the water and he's like, I'll breathe for you. Like, okay, but how do his gills work? I mean, what is the oxygen exchange? Is it just exchanging oxygen over a membrane? Is it refilling his lungs? Is he recharging the air in his lungs with oxygen? There's a lot of questions about how that would work. We had a whole technical discussion and I came up with... If if the gills are just exchanging oxygen and carbon dioxide with the water, 
yeah. like your lungs do with the air. Then he's getting oxygen into his blood and letting carbon dioxide out into the water. But if he's holding air in his lungs, basically the same like diffusion would happen where if the air in his lungs has more carbon dioxide than his blood, the carbon dioxide can go into his blood and any excess oxygen in his blood can transfer into the air in his lungs. Yeah. So then he can breathe out air that has some oxygen in it. And then as long as she breathes her exhale back into his lungs, then he can exchange the carbon dioxide from that into his blood, which then goes out through his gills. And then oxygen comes in through his gills. Yeah, and he's then... recharging the same air over and over Yes. Again. Yeah. And yes. Okay. That, okay. That's the most um, reasonable process, mechanism, whatever. I think it's the gill placement. It's a weird spot. It's all bony right there. Right. Unless he has some sort of additional chamber there for right. oxygen and water so... exchange. And you remember Stargate? Not Stargate. You remember Stargate. I know you do. But D Sequest. Oh, my God. Sequest. Oh, Sequest. Yes. Remember there was a character that had gills. There's a character that had, he had gills. Like He was a I science think it's, experiment. Uh, laser. Later season. Maybe. But they're on his chest. Yes. They're like over his okay. lungs. Yes. And so he'll go do like outside exploration stuff. And he has this suit that he wears that leaves them open. Yeah. And he has like a face mask that he wears that doesn't do anything doesn't do anything for oxygen because you don't need it but he can still talk like talk normally as if he has air to pass over his vocal cords and that one makes more sense because if he's literally exchanging oxygen in the water and he's re-oxygenating air into his lungs he could speak mm, upwards of 80 percent of the gas yeah is nitrogen is nitrogen right. so if he breathes out gas that is 80% nitrogen, and then his gills can pull oxygen out of the water and put that into his lungs. Well, you're not pulling pure oxygen. You're pulling air that has been, like, put into the water. You know what I mean? You can't – you're not the, pulling pure oxygen. The membranes – It's not like you're separating the, membranes the are specific yeah. to the gases. So – I mean, fish do it. <laughs> Do, do fish breathe just oxygen? Fish don't have Lungs. actual gas air anywhere in their body. Right. They, they have a they have a bladder, air bladder. So in short, it up. doesn't make a ton of sense that he breathes for both right. of them. We'll just truncate this discussion right here because this is gonna go. I can see it going, and we're just gonna we're gonna flip right here. Okay. So the I will breathe for both of us is a romantic notion, but again, we'll just put it on the plate with all the other shit we just accepted. He has a plot device in his mouth. That's exactly that what it is. That can generate Absolutely. Air. Yep. It's in his cheek. Mm -hmm. Yep. He stores it he, there. He's, yeah, he's got he it tucked away it. in his cheek Absolutely. There. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I did watch a good Mythbusters, RIP, like half the people on Mythbusters, but, um, or the, the guy, the, no, just, the Asian dude, what was his yeah, name? Um, Greg? No. I have his face. I have his uh, face. <laughs> In my head. They did one where they shot into the water. Grant. Grant. And basically, you can't get shot underwater. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. Arrows are more effective yeah. at 
at maintaining a dangerous velocity in the water than bullets are. Right. Bullets basically just break apart as soon as they hit the water. Yeah. 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 And they, they slow down within about two feet of the surface. Right. So this is believable. The not getting shot underwater part is believable. Yes. But then they burn the boat and they come back up on the boat and then they bang because that seems like the most logical thing to do in this situation. She's like, we're going to die. I want to have sex with a fish man at least once before I die. It's on my bucket list. Is this like the shape of water? I, I just Hang on. You completely derailed me there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that just occurred to me now that there that's an analog here. Excellent fucking movie. Excellent movie. But we're not talking about the shape of water right now. That's a whole other discussion. Stop distracting me. Okay, so. They gum back up on the Hold boat. Hold on. You brought up sex with the fish man. And they bang. I just, I just brought up the reference. They bang. Okay. All right. And so okay. it happens. And this is one of the parts of the Ulysses cut that gets a little bit. They patch this back together. A little bit. Because he keeps sitting down and recoiling the same length of rope and then throwing it down. And then he has this thing about no matter how hard things got for me, I don't quit. Because she's like, listen, if Enola's gone and she's dead. And our entire way of life is ending. And I believe in dry land because we have feet. We are not designed to live right. in We're the water. We're not made to live We are on made to live on dry land. That's why I believe in dry land. And if you're telling me that dry land doesn't exist, then let's just fucking die right now. Which is my right. question every time we watch a post-apocalyptic movie. Like, why are y'all fighting so hard? What are, you, what are you fighting for? What are you? What are you hoping to achieve? They're distracting themselves. I guess. Um, but she's basically like, then let's just bang and then then be done. And he's like, no, excuse me. We'll bang and then I'll save the world. Right. Because I never get done. I don't do done. Okay. I, I have come this far. He's like, they said they should have strangled never you Never underestimate the power of sex in a man's existence. Right. He really feels empowered. Because at one point she says they should have just killed you at birth. And he's like, they, they tried. tried. Even baby me knew Kung Fu. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> they threw me in the water. I cut a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they threw him in the water and they were like, why isn't he dying? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> the kill thing. <laughs> Just waiting in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Every couple hours, coming back up in a different spot. <laughs> Anyway, the mariner ain't no quitter is the, is the moral of that story. He never even quits coiling this rope because he coils it, throws it, has another line of dialogue, coils it again, throws it, it loops. But then Gregor shows up. They fall asleep. They probably bang again. Then Gregor shows up and Gregor's like, oh yeah, they're snuggling. Oh my God, burning the boat. Brilliant fucking idea. Without the smoke, I would never have found I would you. never have found you. And so he pulls him up onto his chair thing and they take him back to mini atoll. And he's very sad that Enola is gone. Yeah. But he does take them back to where all the other survivors are. And they again have a meeting where they're like, I'm pretty sure the fish man needs to just die. And he's like, you know what? God damn it. God damn it. I am I'm taking done. this boat. I am so done. And he takes, he's, while they're talking, he's just in a boat. He's untying He takes the boat. one of their boats. He takes the sail off of somebody else's he's, boat. He's taking, it, like, stuff. He's, like, going on other people's <laughs> boats. And just, like, 
putting anything that looks interesting on his boat. And finally, they're like, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I'm leaving. And they're like, um, Bye, Felicia. I know. They're like, well, that's our boat. You can't take it. And he literally pulls like the tiniest knife out. It's like two inches. And they're like, oh, okay, the, never mind. The size of the weapon that he pulls out is proportional to the threat that he perceives. Oh, okay. Okay, so when he, when the smokers are around, he's yeah. got his like machete, ten inch blade. Yeah, and then this guy's like, "Hey, that's my boat. You can't take it." It's like, ah, I can do the one incher today. Yeah, you get the exacto. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you get. And then that's all I need, right? And Helen's like, "No, he's either gonna take it, and we're gonna let him take it, or he's gonna kill us all, and then he's gonna take it. He's gonna take it either way. So just let him go." And she gets a line that's like, um, <gasps> I know Tina Turner. Tina died. Turner? Oh, no. Yeah. Now we need to watch Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. <sighs> but I digress. But she's like, you know, you, you only ever think about yourself. And he's like, well, it's gotten me this far. And Gregor literally says, he's like, don't blame him. Like, survival is the only thing he knows. Like, that's the only thing he's ever had. Right. Th and that's why there will be more like him. Yeah, he's like, that's why eventually he'll rule the world and we'll all be gone. I mean, Gregor gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Gregor probably grew up you know, the freak, the outsider, the weird guy. Yeah. But then, you know, his autism, his autistic, <laughs> like, fixation on mechanical devices and whatever became useful enough to the group that the group was like, okay, we can ignore all of these antisocial traits or at least nonconformist traits that this guy has because he brings a greater value if we keep him around. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so he, he probably has a lot of He's like, just personal it. experience. He's simpatico, except yeah. I am acceptable because I'm a human and you're a fish. Right. And for religious reasons, we all hate you. This has no analog in modern society. None at all. I so say, anyway. I say with an ironic look on my face. Um, but he goes back to his ship and this is when he's looking through his paper and he sees a picture of trees. And then he sees a picture that Enola has drawn of a tree. And he's like, oh, shit. She's seen trees. Right. Like, these these have been in my lockbox. Yeah. There's literally no way she could have known these exist. She would have never seen a color picture before. Right. So. So how did she see trees? Except there's how a tree. How did she see animals? There's a tree in there, Atoll. Maybe it's what the about horse. the horses? Yeah. Well, she doesn't see the horse. That's way back on the. Well, and the the tree that he pulls out for comparison, it's like a he's, palm tree. It's a palm tree. Yeah, and, and it's she's, actually she's basically drawn a palm tree. I wonder if that Paradise Lost cover is is an actual cover is an actual cover, or if that is one they made as like a oh no, this is now underwater uh. thing. I think that'd be interesting. I don't know enough about National Geographic, but that'd be a cool thing to weigh in on. Is that like a kind of like in Warm Bodies when he's walking along the stand with all the newspapers and you see like it's the yeah, progression. They have it's the progression and magazines of the and things. plague. 
but only in the titles, only in, in the, the media. Yeah. Uh, whatever. That'd be interesting. Yeah. But he's like, oh, shit, she's seen dry land. And that's when he hops back on the boat and he goes back. And it, it's really convenient because that's right when two smokers show up on jet skis. And this is the coolest part because they're talking and the the smokers right, now, are talking. Now we're they're starting like, to get some really effective use of his abilities. How he would actually operate. Right. Right. Because they're the smokers are like talking about how they're going to kill all these people. And he looks back over at Bone, the guy that he was talking to. And, and that gone. guy's gone. And then we see the mariner hop up out of the water, grab the guy and pull him down. And then he approaches on the jet ski and he's like, looks like I'm going to go get Anola. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. Okay, cool. And so they make him some Molotov cocktails, which I don't think he actually ever uses. Mm-mm. Maybe to relight the fire trail. Because that he, they're like, well, you don't even know where to go. And he lights the trail because <laughs> Matt goes, I've seen their O-rings. <laughs> <laughs> I know For, they left as, the trail. As, as the mariner, like... I, I've seen how well they maintain their equipment. Yeah. They're leaky as a sieve. Yeah, it's fine. And There's so he, an oil trail from here all the way back to the D's. Literally, there is. Literally. we see him ride off into the darkness following this fire trail that he lit on fire. And then when he gets to the D's, there's literally still a trail that he's following. Yeah. Plus, there's a bunch of trash in the water, and it's smoggy, because this is just continuing our capitalist commentary about pollution and waste and unsustainable unsustainable growth but then we get a bunch of other cool scenes where he does the first he goes up and he gets kind of a lay of the land and then he does the cool thing where he jumps off the side of the boat because they find his abandoned jet ski and he jumps off the side of the boat and and tackles a guy tackles the two guys and then holds them underwater until they drown this part's so satisfying because he's finally doing shit like cool, super like cool fantasy creature shit. Oh, and and another scene that looked slightly unnerving, but kind of reinforced his character was when he was on his boat, like looking at Enola's drawings. Yes. Is he comes up out of the water very slowly and he doesn't take a breath in. No. At, when he comes out of the water and he doesn't wipe his eyes because he doesn't need to take a breath in because he right. hasn't been holding his breath. Right. In fact, he exhales. Yeah. Like just like just <laughs> a tiny little bit. Right. And yeah, he doesn't cool. take a breath in. Yeah. He does a good job of maintaining that like not doing human type behavior. When right. coming in and out of the water. Right. Yeah. Be moving in and out of the water as if he's breathing underwater. Right. And then he ends up going back in through the like maintenance bay. Because this is when he rides. Yeah, oh my it, God. It's the shoot. We didn't even talk about the part where there's a pot where the plane finds them and she shoots the plane with the, the harpoon. harpoon. And Jack Black is the pilot of the plane. Oh, yeah. So I think the scene back on the ship where the deacon is questioning the pilot, I don't think that's in the theatrical version. Oh, it might not be. Yeah. And I think that's why we didn't recognize him at first. Right. Because we only ever saw this scene when we saw the Ulysses cut. Right. But I was like, that looks like Jack Black. 
I was like, no way. I was like, no way. Jack Black's not in this. Matt was like, oh my God, it is. It's Jack Black. (laughs) Yeah. Waterworld starring Jack Black. He's in it for like mm, 25 seconds. Yeah. But but put him on the (laughs) list. Put him on the list. list, I know. Exactly. Anyway, we go back. We're on the Ds. A lot of stuff happens. It's all pretty cool. He's killing people. And Nola gets the cool line where she's like, he can hide in the shadow. Oh, of the I love her like sun. monologue. Yeah, because she's it's very much like he's my father figure. He's my like, I think he's super, super cool. He hates me, but I think he's really, really cool. She even tells him she's like, oh, no, he hates me, but he's going to come for me because he hates you more. Mm-hmm. And as she's saying it, we get to see like clips of him moving through the boat. Yes, it's one of my favorite yes. scenes. And then <clears throat> Nord is like. Good. I hope he comes. Yeah. And, and she's, she's like, like, remember you said that. I'll remember you said that because he going to fuck you up. And then we get Deacon's like, I've had a vision speech that he gives to everybody on the yeah. Exxon Valdez. And when you haven't seen the Ulysses cut, it just sounds like he's bullshitting them. Right. But then you realize this is a religion and he's their religious leader. This is a regular thing. Yeah. This isn't like, oh, I need to motivate everybody. Yeah. This is something he does all the time. Right. No, this is like, I am your cult leader and I've had a vision and a little child, you know, the provider said unto me that a little child shall lead you and he pulls her out and he ends up getting them all to go row. And this is my other favorite scene in this movie i just i don't have i don't even rank them i just have Mm. favorite they see i have a lot of love in my heart for these kinds of movies and so i i generally spread it all out but this particular scene is cool because everybody's gone to go row right there's all this buildup of small events happening right and then they get back into the room well no they go to go row and they're they look down and there's still somebody standing on the deck and they're like better go find an oar friend and he's like, affirmative. <laughs> oh, like in Soldier. <laughs> like in Soldier. And he just starts walking towards them. And they're like, um, uh, are, what's your problem? Like, you need to go row. And he pulls his goggles off. He pulls them down instead of up, which I think yeah. is interesting. He pulls them down. And they're like, oh, shit. It's, it's him. him. And Enola goes, I told you he'd come for me. And they, You guys are in a lot of trouble. <laughs> you guys are in so much trouble. Yeah. And they smack her on the back of the head. <laughs> um, yeah. And he's basically like, I've, I'm here for Enola. You better give her to me. Oh, you uh, you want the way to dry land? And he's like, no, she's he's my like, friend. No, I just, I'm here for my friend. And they're like, oh, that's so fucking sweet. <laughs> and then he pulls out a flare and he stands over next to. Um, right. He saw them pumping gas out of that hole yeah and it's like oh that's where i put the fire that's where the boom boom stuff is and so he holds his flare over it and he's like better give it to me or i'm gonna drop it and they're like you're not gonna drop it you're not that stupid and he's like "Mm, have you met me (laughs) (laughs) and and even enola's like uh he doesn't bluff yeah he's not lying to you he's gonna do it and then we get a the R word, which is very 90s and not cool, but it's there, where he tells him he's a total, I can't say it, but he's very, very dumb for being there and for trying to do this. And he's like, okay, cool. And he just clips the flare, drops it in the 
in the in the like the go juice the go juice right and it ends up falling down and the guy whose only name is depth i love gauge, this line the guy whose only name is depth gauge who's this yep. like sloth looking dude that lives <laughs> he lives on a boat in the oil is like oh, oh thank, thank god because <laughs> it all explodes which we looked it up and crude oil would explode like this fumes wise it's yeah it's, it's the fumes that have evaporated off of it would explode right and then it would continue to burn slowly right so it 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 tracks it blows yeah up. and this whole sequence right may not be like scientifically accurate to whatever but it's not that movie you you get an initial like fairly small explosion which just sets everything on fire yeah and then as the fire spreads, you get secondary explosions right. of like ammo or of fuel cash or whatever. Right. And then he ends up having to fight his way up to the top of where the bridge is, which it's really funny because across the bridge in really big letters, it says no smoking. <laughs> yeah. And so they end up, they leave. They leave. Um, uh, and by after, the time he gets up after there. After he harpoons the plane. Yeah. Well, no, after, by the time he gets up there, oh, Deacon yeah, they, and Enola are down on the deck. And so he ends up not harpooning the plane, but he harpoons like the other end of the ship. And then he puts oh, the harpoon. He, he puts the anchor on the plane. Yeah. And he ends up. Um, or the grapple hook, whatever. Yeah, he does. As he's flying by it, he grapples it. He does this cool thing. It's cool. It's the whole part's really cool. Yeah. And he ends up grounding the plane, ripping the legs off the plane and grounding it. And he gets Enola, but he doesn't deal with Deacon. Deacon's dead. No, he's not. He comes back. He gets better. <laughs> he gets better. Hold on. I'm trying to remember because he pulls her out well, of the Well, he runs away plane. with Enola and everything's exploding. And that's when they show up on the balloon and they drop him a rope and they climb up. And, oh, but there's yes. like and then Deacon extra rope is hanging down. So, yeah. yeah. Deacon, and then he ends up grabbing Enola and they fall together. I, I was thinking, oh, maybe Enola wore her seatbelt. And this is the part where he bungee jumps with regular rope. Okay. I can I can bullshit around that. Uh, I'm ready. Okay. I'm here for it. The kind of rope that would survive underwater or in a wet environment is synthetic rope. Most synthetic ropes are stretchy. Okay. Are they bungee jump stretchy? No. Okay. But they're like 10% stretchy. Bungee rope is like what is it? You were like maybe he has hollow fish bones, or his fish no, bones no. are like flexible? hard, hard fish bones. <laughs> maybe he's all cartilage, like a shark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> so he can't break a bone. He'd be breaking cartilage. <clears throat> Would he feel weird? Would he feel squishy then? Because sharks a, feel a little like bit bendy, fluid filled. Yeah. <laughs> all his bones would be a little bendy. <laughs> Just to get the sex scene, but I'm good now. <laughs> 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 like okay. it, it'll get there give it a minute i'm, I'm just i mean it's but no listen i'm a little bit bendy you just gotta give it a minute well humans are one of the few mammals without an actual bone in the penis right but i don't think he has a bone in the penis no if if he was a fish you do what's called the cloacal kiss <laughs> When when the two cloacas cloaca. touch, yes, and but she whatever. does. I mean, she kind of has a cloaca, but it wouldn't be satisfying to do a cloaca. She's not set up to enjoy a cloacal kiss. Let's put it that way. Right. 
You're like, right. no, no, it's fine. We're just going to push our slits together, and then I'm just going <laughs> to expel sperm, and it was going to be cool. And she's like, no, no, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> or conversely, he could be like a whale, which I think has like the largest penis per Just the tonnage. largest penis. Like the largest penis per tonnage for a, a mammal. Isn't that? I don't think it's. I think it's the elephant that has like the longest per like pound of body oh. weight. Well, the whale it's like six foot long. Yeah, and it's all like furled in like a pouch. Mm-hmm. I mean, a pouch would be a great adaptation. Uh, marine mammals, if you're spending which a lot include of time anything in the water. evolutionarily close to mammals that live in the ocean full time. Yeah, uh, that includes bears. Yeah. That includes elephants. Yeah. And uh, the they don't have testicles. They have testes. Yeah. They're and they're all internal. Yeah. Uh, they also have cluster kidneys uh, that can process. Salt. Yeah, for uh, extra capacity for processing right. well, salt I mean, he in doesn't, the water. And clearly he doesn't do that because he can't drink salt water. Right. But. Which I, I was thinking. That would be a really good additional adaptation is like the, the cluster kidney. It would explain why almost every other male character wears a codpiece, but he doesn't. Oh, if he has like a slit? Yeah. Like uh, the guy from... Um, Shape of Water? Shape of Water. Yes. Yeah. Just like that. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. It's the fucking best. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Do we want to table the penis discussion or do you feel like there's more ground to, to hoe here? <laughs> you didn't we catch got, it literally almost every other character is wearing a cod piece back dennis hopper has quite an impressive cod piece well yeah i mean he's got the i did not know that dennis hopper had passed away until i looked him up for this movie and i just want everybody to know that because that was like 13 years ago yeah. that probably wasn't in a good place we were what 25 yeah we weren't in a good place to notice that dennis hopper had passed i may have known at the time and then it just yeah, we were still struggling through the millennial apocalypse. Millennial apocalypse, exactly. I mean, he just does a really good job in this movie, and he wasn't the first choice. They wanted like Jack Nicholson, but he was too expensive. Ugh. They wanted um, the guy from Pulp Fiction who has the wallet that says "badass motherfucker" on it. Samuel Jackson. They wanted Samuel L. Jackson for it, but he Ooh. he passed on it to be in another movie. I forget which one, but like he was way down the list. For this yeah i mean kevin costner was the first choice because kevin costner was like this i don't know if anybody else it was remembers, kevin costner's movie but there was just an era of like kevin costner movies and they were kevin costner movies and it was like this one the postman a whole bunch my of mom them. put on dances with wolves all the time yeah that's a good example of a kevin costner movie or um field of dreams yeah yep but I think this was in the in the genre of like over the top extra Kevin Costner movies that were getting made around this time. Mm-hmm. And he actually had a falling out with the director and the director left. And he didn't work with this director again until Hatfields and McCoys. Even though they were previously good friends. And famously, he said that uh, Kevin Costner needed to only work work on movies that he directed because that way he got to work with his own his favorite actor and his favorite director himself but he ends up saving enola back to the movie again (laughs) yep okay back to the story back to the story and he pulls her up because it's gonna be two hours long and he pulls her up into the boat and then they are like airship 
Yeah, the airship. And then Gregor's like, well, I think I kind of figured it out because you gave me... Oh, because as he's pulling Enola up over the edge, he sees her tattoo upside down. Right. And he's like, you're right, it is upside down. Because he gets a ticket from like Japanese airlines and he's able to translate the numbers using the ticket. Yeah. And he's like, the, they are coordinates. Yeah. And... Their latitude and longitude. And, and I then have he, this map. And then he pulls an astrolabe out of his... Plot device bag. Um, it's not an astrolabe. It's a... I don't think it's an astrolabe. It's an astrolabe. Yeah, it's an astrolabe. Sextant. Sextant. That's, yeah. yeah. Sorry. He pulls a sextant out of his plot device bag. He's like, oh, you just do this thing where you twizzle this little stick and then you shoo the bum and then you shoot... There, it's right over there. Like, he doesn't know how to use a sextant. That is a highly sophisticated... like. That's a lot of training. Yeah. And he's just like... Dry land is that way. And he just points over his shoulder. They just head off in that direction. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And they end up finding dry land. Um, right about the time that I guess water's running out or whatever. Because they land and there's plenty of fresh water and they find a little village and they find Enola's parents and they find her music box and And they find the scraps of paper and tattoo equipment. Right. From when they made Enola's tattoo. So just confirming that this is actually where Enola came from. Yeah. And they must have been the last two people. And I don't know. Like and the one guy's raising like. Raising their grandchild We'll bury them in the dirt. I think it was their way. Let's <laughs> <laughs> remember that scene. And in the theatrical cut, um, the Mariner ends up leaving pretty much because this is freaking him out. Like, Dryland is freaking him. He's wigging him out. It doesn't move right. It don't move right. Um, But in the theatrical version, it's because, like, there's more people like you and there's more people like me. You mean the Ulysses cut? That's what I mean. Sorry. The the Ulysses cut. He's like, there's more people like you and there's more people like me out there. And I'm going to go find him and I'm going to tell him how to get here so that more people can survive and we don't repopulate the planet from two old dudes and two women. One of whom is like eight. <laughs> this, this feels like an awkward situation. I'm going to go find yeah. some more people for you, which makes more sense. And she also gives him a name because she talks about the, the story, the story of a man who wandered on the ocean for years before he finally found his way home. And his name was Ulysses. And that's why it's called the Ulysses cut. And she names Kevin Costner's character Ulysses. Right. And then as he's riding away on this wooden boat that has mysteriously survived all of this time, out in the open without rotting or needing repair or anything. Plus, how is he going to explain that? The first person he finds is going to be like, what's your boat made out of? And he's going to be like, oh, um, a really weird kind of metal. Fish. F- it's made out of fish. Fish bones? <laughs> what? It's, it's a really big fucking fish. It's a really big fucking fish. Because if you imagine like dirt is a hot commodity, paper is a hot commodity. Wood. An entire wood boat? Holy fucking shit. It's like sailing around on a gold toilet. It is like sailing around on a gold toilet. exactly what it's like. <laughs> uh, but they end up running to the top of this hill to watch him ride away. And Enola's like, what's this? And she clears this plaque off at her feet. And it says, like, Mount this, Everest. Mount Everest. This is the summit of Mount Everest or whatever. And they're like, oh, that's not really interesting. So apparently the dry land that survives is the top of Mount Everest. Which I was doing some research on mountain peaks. Mount Everest is the highest above sea level. Okay. 
but there are other mountains because the earth is not actually spherical it bulges out in the middle yeah there i remembered like oh there are mountains taller than everest but that measurement is there are mountains farther away from the earth's center than everest because they're near the equator and since the equator bulges out yeah sea level also bulges out but that means a mountain that's you know, 7,000 feet above sea level at the equator is equivalent, is like way, t- way farther away from the center of the earth than a mountain farther north, right. like Mount Everest. Gotcha. So if we're, if it's sea level, then yeah, Mount Everest. But there's, Going by the numbers. there's a few peaks around Everest yeah. that are, almost the same height so if this peak is sticking out there sh- there might be like well they don't say it's the only dry right land. right but like from this spot there's other point there's other peaks in the himalayas yeah that would also be now islands right yeah so there's there's more land than what you see there right that makes sense not that it's actually a real world and yeah, we need to. If the take polar ice caps melted, there wouldn't be enough water to cover no, the earth like this. Not so even this close. is all academic. It doesn't really matter. It's not even academic. It's pure entertainment. That's what this movie is. And here we get to the part where I finally get to talk about what I really want to talk about, which is I want to see this movie remade. I don't want to see this movie remade because I think they could do it better. Because I love this movie, and you're never going to get another movie shot on location. Like this is shot on location. Right. This is like a time capsule of 90s optimism and ambition in this tiny little glowing ball of amazingness. Even they... after the entire world has gone to shit, there's still a glimmer of hope. Yeah, a glimmer of hope. And we're going to film it two miles out in the ocean. <laughs> so it really fucking looks like we're out in the ocean. Forget your matte painting. Forget your green screen. Forget all of that shit. We are going out on the ocean to film this. You don't get that now. That doesn't happen now. Except on like indie projects. Uh, yeah, maybe an indie project that could spend two hundred and some million dollars. <laughs> but I mean, it's like Avatar. Well, a, a lot of the fabrication is cheaper now. Yeah. And filming wise, the, you could use drones. Right. But CG is going to be cheaper. CG is going to be... It's going to be more convenient because you can produce exactly what you have in your mind. Right. So you can... They're not going to get an apples to apples movie is what I'm saying here. But you could create a soul remake of this movie. And what I would love to see is something like this movie, but where we really lean into what it means to be like the Mariner. The fact that he lives in a world that is purely water and he is capable of existing in the water right and he should be he's the only one that can traverse this terrain he should be as at home in the water as he is on the boat and we don't lean into that enough probably because of filming limitations um i mean we only get a couple of like him in the water scenes right filming underwater is kind of a big deal in the 90s right so we're not getting 
we can't, we can't, which is not possible to do it. And I would have, I mean, like the scene where he holds the dudes under the water and they drown or the one where he comes out and pulls the guy off of the sea dew. Jet ski. Jet ski. <laughs> the non-brand name just left me. Um, the jet ski is fucking cool. That is cool. And I would love to have had more of that. Instead of the push-pull relationship with Helen and Enola, I would have loved to have more him doing cool shit. And so I think that's what would be cool if we remade the movie. And I get that Aquaman is a little bit like that. Jet Ski's also a brand name. Ah, oh, god damn it. What are they what would they uh, be then? Wave Runner? Sea-Doo? <laughs> Jet Ski? Which one isn't the brand name? The term is off let's see. The term jet ski is often used generically to refer to any type of personal watercraft used mainly for recreation. Yeah. Uh, okay, PWC, personal watercraft. Personal watercraft. Okay. All right, fine. PWCs. Or, hold on, water scooter. What? <laughs> I like that one. Dang it. We should have learned that one earlier. I would have called it a water scooter this entire time. But I get that Aquaman, I mean, I've seen Aquaman. I watched Aquaman because I wanted it to be a better version of Waterworld, but it was just, I don't know. It was all right. I'm not a, I'm not a comic book movie fan. The depth doesn't resonate with me. The, the world they're trying to build doesn't feel, I, I don't, right. I don't it's, connect It's very with focused it. on the individual character rather it, than the world. That right. They and inhabit. I just don't connect with it in the way I connect with one-off stories like this. It's not like a judgment on, Aquaman. I don't hate Aquaman. It just wasn't, didn't do it for me. <laughs> it just didn't do it for me, if you know what I mean. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just, that's what I would love to see is to take today's technology and create this movie and give us the same sense of scope and the same sense of the world and the same sense of culture and everything that they created for this movie, but in a way that highlights more the main character a little bit more centered on the mariner a little bit less centered on this omnipresent bad guy of capitalism and consumerism make it a mini series Ooh, a mini series would be really cool just i mean why are there not more cool mer people stories right there's just i mean there was siren which was on tv for a little while and i tried watching and it was all right and we get a couple, but we just don't get a cool, like, non-romantic, non-teenage girl, like, people stories. You know what I mean? I'm not that interested yeah, in people stories. I think we're out there. There's, there's dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> there's dozens of us who want... I mean, I think they're cool. There's, it's a cool idea that we have, you know, 75% of our planet's covered in water. We know less about the deep ocean than we do about space. There's so much to mine here. And we're always like, well, I don't know, like a megalodon. How about that? Okay, let's just do some more sharks. That would be really cool. Well, I don't know. Let's have evil mermaids. Little evil mermaids. And then we get like, ooh, the abyss. Shit, we should do the abyss. I think it's on the list. Oh, I love the abyss. And that's a cool one. Like there's an entire alien race that lives under the ocean. Are and they've just been waiting. aliens? No, they're not. They're they're another Terran species. Yeah, that's just been waiting for us to be worth talking to. 
We had to get to them first. Yeah. Yeah. The set for that was in North Carolina, and it was like a famously abandoned set for a long time because they made this tank right. thing. Interesting. They didn't film on location at the ocean floor. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> Lame. Lame. You mean you went to the Marianas Trench, but you didn't really go to the trench? Ah, fuck you. Which Challenger Deep? How fucking metal is that? Right. The deepest part of the ocean is called the Challenger Deep. Isn't that the name of the submarine that went there? No, it is the Challenger Deep. Oh, okay. I thought that was just so metal. I thought it was named after like a mission that went there. We've only we've been there fewer times than we've been to the moon. All right. Matt's made his way through three natty lights. Natter oh, days. Two and a half. Two and a half. So we're just gonna we're gonna wrap it here. But I don't know. Final thoughts on the movie. Do you like do you like Waterworld? Oh yeah. I like Waterworld. It's yeah. a very good movie. It's a good movie. I love the scope and the ambition. It's, this movie was so fucking ambitious. The narrative is good. Yeah. The characters are good. The world building. I love the world building. Yeah. That's I like a very um an effective main character yeah in a very well-built world i think this is a main character we often enjoy because this is again the same guy as the main character from soldier yep it's the same main character from a lot of the movies that we really enjoy which is like the lone wolf hyper competent like, he's like a gunslinger yeah character yeah yeah, yeah he's pirate punk pirate punk pirate punk TM, TM. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we came up with that. <laughs> I like pirate punk. Yeah. This is what I want more pirate punk movies. This feels like the only pirate punk movie. Okay. The Challenger Deep is named after the British Royal Navy survey ship HMS Challenger, whose expedition, blah, 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 made the first recordings of its depth. So we're the same. We're both right. It's the name of the ship and it's the name of the. The mission. The mission. The bottom. It's the name of the mission and it's the name of the base of the lowest space. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's leave it there. I already talked about Instagram. I'm not going to talk about it again. Did you? Yeah, I did it at the top of the show. I mentioned oh, yes, Instagram and how and we're Patreon. changing up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Patreon. So they're good. Um, Do you have anything you want to say? Um. Let's see. Anything else going on? Let's call it so we can go do a drunk review of. Uh, well, I, I was I was about to say, if you sign up for the Patreon, you could be party to some exclusive lit like watch alongs, like we're about to do in about fifteen minutes. We're gonna watch Renfield. Ooh, a drunk time watch to get along drunk and watch Nicholas Renfield. Cage. Hell yeah! And Excited. it will be released on the Patreon. As a an audio file that you can put on your headphones, turn on Renfield, we'll give you a countdown to cue it up, boom, press play, and listen to our drunk commentary as you watch the movie. Hell yeah. And if we start talking about Gilgamesh and the nature of human sexuality again, I'm cutting off our drunk watch-along privileges. What? I'll be disappointed if we don't. We do every single time. No. Uh, if the not, words not Gilgamesh. Um I'm sorry. We've only done two and we didn't do any we didn't discuss Gilgamesh in Dungeons and Dragons. 
Did we not? No. I feel like we did. Maybe we still talked about the nature of human sexuality, though. Well, I mean, that's that's a big part of <laughs> yeah. life, so. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Come on. This movie's... This okay. <laughs> so remember, sometimes a stranger thing... <laughs> 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 the look. <laughs> I'm just drawing this out. I can could, I could tell. It's, it's hard to get Rachel agitated, so... <laughs> <laughs> She's a very uh, stoic person, mm. a very stoic presence. Would you please say it? Because <laughs> I'm the one who has to cut all this shit out. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Cloaca. <laughs> Bye.